Today's All Rise podcast is made possible in part by Joseph Krauske, attorney at law based in Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome once again to All Rise, true stories from around the courthouse, from the lady who wrote everything down. That lady is my good friend, Diane Godfrey. I'm Jordan Rich, local Boston area broadcaster and podcaster, and I really enjoy sitting down with Diane, meeting some of her amazing guests, and talking with her about cases. Now, before we get to today's case, Diane welcomes your comments, your questions. If you have a particular case you'd like us to talk about, please email her, allrisediane at gmail.com. We'd love Love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear your reviews. Again, allrisediane at gmail.com. Today, Diane, we have a gentleman on the line, Clemente Aguirre, who was charged and convicted of first-degree murder, crimes he did not commit. And it took the efforts of an organization called the Innocence Project to save him from death row. He was exonerated in 2018. So his story is fascinating. I can't wait to get into it. And, And Diane, let me toss it to you as you lead off with the first question. Hi, Clemente. My name is Diane Godfrey, and I'm delighted that you're here today on All Rise with Diane Godfrey. The first thing I wanted to ask you, if you can just introduce yourself to the audience, your whole name and the nickname that you go by. Yeah, my name is Clemente Javier Aguirre Jarquin, and I go by Shorty because I'm 411. You're 4'11". That's great. I like short guys. I am one of them, too. Not quite as short, but I really appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) So we've got a lot to cover here, but Diane, uh, we should have him uh, outline his story. Where did you want to start? For the audience, let them know that I contacted you through what's called the Innocence Project. The Innocence Project is a group that gets a hold of some like information that somebody is wrongly convicted and incarcerated and they do their best to exonerate the person through DNA and other means. Do I have that right? That is correct. Uh, they work more than anything with DNA. DNA doesn't lie. Facts don't lie. Your case starts in the early 2000s, right? 2004, I believe? Yes. Okay. And we're going to kind of go through just the basics of what happened then and what happened in 2018 when you were exonerated. Diane, I think we wanted to ask him how he came to this country and what the circumstances were. Well, yes. Um, I understand that you were born and brought up in Honduras. I don't want to embarrass you, but I did a little bit of research and I see that early on in life you are, you are really talented and you won an award in your country that would be the equivalent here in the U.S. of like American Idol or The Voice. Am I right? Something like that, yes. So you were kind of a like a famous person around <laughs> your home and in the country. I got well known because of that, yes. Yeah, that that's really special. And you know what? I wouldn't embarrass you further, but I'd love to hear how you sing. I bet it's tremendous. <laughs> no, 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 not thinking about He's embarrassed, but that's okay. We know you're a champion. That's what counts. Yeah. You came to America, you state, because uh, of pressure you were feeling back home from what, uh, gangs and so forth? That is correct. Um, so it was seven of us friends. They grow up together. Mm-hmm. We always go to play uh, sports. Um, go to the club, dancing or whatever, mm-hmm. and drink together. Uh, but uh, they start deporting people. Like by 1996, more than anything, you see a massive of people being deported, and a lot of them coming from Los Angeles and Chicago. Uh huh. 18, 18 gang kind of thing, and MS-13 were coming from El Salvador. There is next door from Honduras, and. Uh, you know, El Salvador is a very little country, and they have a lot of people. 
So they immigrate to every other country, Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, United States, you name it. So MS-13 is a gang, and I know that yes. they're, they're, I've seen them in the courts up here in Boston, and they, they began in El Salvador, and it bled over into your country, Honduras. Correct, in next door. Next right. door. And right. then they kind of pressured you and wanted you to join the gang, and you went to school and did soccer in another gang, an arrival gang's area, and what happened there? Well, I, 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 used to go to, I used to go to school. My mama don't want to go uh, to send me to school where my friends were. Because she say I won't be able to uh, adjust or do homework and all these things because I will be with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she made sure I went alone far away, uh, where is the 18. I used to live in a neighborhood that was MS-13, MS-13 neighborhood. Right. And at the beginning, it was big uh, guns fighting with each other. But then it became like recruiting, right? Recruiting. Just to cut to the chase here, so you you made it to the United States. You left the country and and got into the U.S. to escape MS-13's clutches. Well, they killed almost every MS-13 from the neighborhood that I live at, and the rest run away. And then they start getting uh, personal with people who had nothing to do with anything. They killed one of my best friends and threw his body in front of his mama house. Wow. They was living across my uh, my house, and we saw it. It was election day. I, I don't know how you say it in English this, but uh, it was like uh, you cannot be out after 10 o'clock. A curfew. A curfew, You yes. couldn't go out so, after 10 p.m.? Mm. Yes, yeah, so we were uh, in my mama's porch, my friends and I, and they got my other friend and killed him and throw his body in front of his mama's house. That was your friend that was killed by the gang because he didn't join the gang. That's correct. And they threw his body in front of his mom's house. And now I understand because I did some research that they came to your house once in a cab and took an assault rifle to your head and asked you. An AK-47, yes, ma'am. AK-47. And they gave you an ultimatum, right? Yeah, they say tick-tock, tick-tock. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Tick-tock, tick-tock. means time is ticking and you better join yeah. up or do what we say. So it makes sense that you were fleeing something that was very, very dangerous and coming to the States at that point. You know, yeah, I I remember telling my mother when I was young, because I'm, I'm a mama's boy. <laughs> so I, I remember telling my mother I would never leave you. After she saw that, I was with my girlfriend at that moment in time. They become my fiancé uh, later on, but she was holding to my arm for dear life. Oh, boy. And uh, when my mama saw that, she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, mama, go inside. It made no sense for you to be outside. And the driver of the taxi uh, came out, and I told him, hey, you homeboy keep, keep calling me a name of Lolo, and I'm not Lolo, I'm Clemente. He said, I know who you are. Uh, can you please ask him to take the gun out of my face? He said, yeah, but I want you to know that TikTok, TikTok, the clock is uh, ticking. Okay. So my mama sent me to Nicaragua. She sent you to Nicaragua, and that was the start of like a th- over three month quest to get to the U.S., right? I, I went to Nicaragua in 2001, and I lived there with my grandma for nine months. But you know, love and everything make you make you dumb, I guess. <laughs> so I come back to Honduras, and my sister came. So I asked her, um, 
if she can help me to come to America. Because she lived in Florida, right? That's correct. So you decided you were going to go, but didn't you have to go like with a coyote and you swam across the Rio Grande and it you all nearly drowned and you had to take all your clothes off and put them in a bag and you held the bag in your teeth as you swam across the Rio Grande? Is that true? Yes, ma'am. That was that was that was funny. I took off on January second, two thousand and three, from my house. I make it in Mexico on January third. Wow. And from there, I take a bus and I went to a place. The school was maybe 12 yards away from the house that I was staying at. I buy some Mexican papers to try to identify myself. I love the national anthem, the history, food, you name it. I took an airplane, and i never been on an airplane before. You'd never been on an airplane? No, ma'am. You were scared? (laughs) But I'm not laughing at you. I know the first time I was in when I was afraid, but it's a great way to go. So you finally made it to the U.S. You made it to your sisters. You were in Florida. I did, when I was doing my research, I saw all kinds of accounts that you had a job within like two days and you had a tremendous work ethic and it became noticed by a man who took you into his restaurant to work. You were living in a trailer park. You got friendly with some neighbors. And then what happened? Well, just to refresh a little bit, uh, I was working with my brother-in-law. I was shaving some palms. Some palm, Some palm trees, trees. palm mm-hmm. trees, yes. shaving the trees, and, yeah. And it wasn't in a golf course. This bald head with funny mustache guy came and say, I like your work ethic. Yeah. I would will, I will like to offer you a job as a dishwasher in my restaurant. It was a very famous restaurant called Lugino's Pasta House. What was, no, the no, na- what was the name of it? Lugino's Pasta House. Lugino's Pasta House? That sounds nice. Yes, but spaghetti with meatballs, it cost $64 back then. <laughs> what? That's it, a pretty it hefty... Was, it was for rich people. Very... I, I, didn't know, I didn't know the price, you know. I, I didn't know I got, I got paid, and I, I just saw that's all I want to. Uh, I remember one day, it was very busy. It always got very busy. and But that day, it was extremely busy, and... Uh, I asked one of the cooks to please cook for me my dinner, and he said, cook yourself. My mama teach me how to cook, and I'm six years old. Oh. So I started cooking, and I cooked my pasta, and my boss was watching me. I didn't know that. And he said, I didn't know you know how to cook. Said, yeah, I know how to cook. I know how to cook everything. He said, how would you like to get a, like a promotion and give you a, a prep job so you will prep everything for the cook line? I said, uh, would you pay more? He's like, yep. Yeah. I'll oh. give you one more dollar. Like, okay. So, you know, in the Latino community, usually parents teach you that um, when somebody is married, they're supposed to live alone. So I wasn't feeling comfortable with my sister and my brother-in-law, and I was there, you know? Right, yeah. right, right. So I want to move out. So I asked my sister to find me a place where I work. It was uh, three Mexicans. And they told me, hey, listen, I got a laundry room that we can put as a... As a as a room, we can fix it. Yeah. You know, we, we buy some uh, plywood and uh, some carpet and put electricity in there and then you can stay there. And we go out there for the, for the rent. I said, okay, fine. And it's when I meet my uh, neighbor. They didn't speak English. I didn't speak Spanish. We used to use a lot of coke. Uh, we used to drink a lot. They used to smoke a lot. We, I don't smoke weed, so. Okay, so you. Because it made me go sleepy. Right. But, you know, that, it had become the relationship between us. So this was a neighbor, and you became friendly with a girl named Samantha, and her Correct. mom, was her mother's name Carol? Carol. And then there was the grandmother that was wheelchair-bound. Yeah. 
So you became friendly with them, and the doors were never locked. It was kind of like an easy, breezy relationship, and you'd kind of go over there, and they'd go to your house, and you'd drink. And it sounds innocent enough and, and normal. And then I guess one night, from what I saw when I was researching this, you were out drinking, which is no crime. You came right. home pretty late. The sun was coming up, and you just wanted a nightcap. And you went over to see if they could give you a beer because they always said beer. Is that right? That is correct. I have been there uh, multiple times. I opened the door and I used parking. In my country, it's no doors uh, closed. Mm. Maybe right. as curtains. So, you know, um, the difference of uh, culture got me. Because one night I went there uh, without permission and they were like uh, throwing me out. But the door was always open and I was always there. I say, one, I, I say that night, hey, if you don't want me to come to your house no more, I won't. Yeah. And they're like, no, we don't say that. We're saying, knock the door. This particular day is uh, June 16th, June 17th. My roommate told me he needs his son to speak English. He's American. Yeah. So he was living in Tamaulipas. He said he was bringing his son and his wife that I need to go. So I'm one of the persons that I don't leave everything but the last moment. Yeah. So I start looking at the moment in time. And I went to these three brothers that are Mexican, and they say, you're in love. We move into an apartment. We can leave you the trailer on our name. The only thing you have to do is feed our dogs. Feed the it dog? Was yeah, it was two pit bulls. So you were because alone. It was a pit bull. You're alone with a pit bull in the trailer, right? No, it's where I was, I was supposed to move. Oh. So that was my day off. That was on Wednesday. So... We went to celebrate, right? We we, we, got, we go drinking. Yeah. We go some on fights or whatever. I didn't know it was illegal in America in that moment in time. They pick up some chickens uh, to party on Sunday or whatever. And I went for a tournament to the bar that I usually go. It's it called Pressos. You went to a tournament for what? Pool. Pool? Pool. I yeah. see, I I'm a, see. I'm a, great, I'm a great pool player. I'm oh, are you? You sound so uh, talented on so many levels. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm so sorry to be cocky, but I'm no, a great uh, I'm, I'm a impressed. Great but I'm anxious to find out what the heck happened. So you went, well, it's sunrise, right? And you go over to this trailer, and from what I understand, the door was ajar and there was something holding it. And you looked and you recognized and saw the mother apparently in distress on the floor. Yes. And you tried uh, so to help her. My friend got two friends, and we went to his house. They, it was supposed to be my house next, in the next month. And they start talking about gang. I do not entertain gang talking at all with anybody. So I went home. Yeah. And I, I went for a beer, and I realized I didn't have none. So I'm going to go next door to my neighbors for a beer. Yeah. And when I'm about to knock the door, the door pushed open. Yeah. But it didn't open all the way. And I've been there hundreds and hundreds of times, so I know the door open all the way. I look at it, and I can see nothing but they got like a glass window in the side. And I see it, and I saw Cheryl Williams uh, laying on the floor. You saw Cheryl Williams laying on the floor. Did you see blood at that time? I see blood on her. So what did you do? I, I, I really wasn't paying attention to, uh, you know. Mm. You stepped inside, and you tried to help her. Didn't you check to see if she was alive, if you could help her? I, I, I touched her paws and her uh, ribs. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't feel anything. So I say, maybe I'm too drunk and too high to feel anything. So I tried to touch her neck. Yeah. But I couldn't because the way her head was. So I pick her up, I put it on top of my legs or my knees, 
and that's how I got blood in my clothes. And I touched her, and I was asking to work up, and she didn't wake up, so, you know. So you unwittingly, innocently were trying to help, but you tampered with a crime scene, unbeknown to you. Correct. Now you got her blood on your clothes, and then what happened next? You realized she was dead. I know how many people live in the house. I went to her mother, uh, her mother room, right. and I saw I saw her in, uh, under the table. Under the this is the woman that was wheelchair bound. Her name is Carol. She was she, the grandmother. She was the grandmother. Yeah, that's correct. She's dead too. That's correct. So now I think Red, Eric, and Samantha are dead too. So I hear a noise. I pick up the knife, and I walk around the house. Let's just remind people, the knife is the, the murder the, the weapon. Murder weapon. It you pick there. it up to defend yourself, thinking you're perhaps next. Because I hear a noise, that's correct. You okay. heard a noise, but then didn't you realize it was just their dog? Yes, later, but by mm. then I already got the You didn't know. Right. You didn't know if there was a murder. But the daughter was not in the house. There were two deceased people, the mom and the grandmother that was in the wheelchair. Correct. The other three people were in there. But by then, when I found out, I already walked around the house. So, you can see my footprints walking around the chair that was down. Yeah, yeah, w- w- yeah. which, again, as, as people listen to this, they should realize this is 2004, and uh, you've got a lot of circumstantial evidence pointing to you, you know, Correct. blood on the clothes, having the weapon, et cetera, et cetera. You know, to, to me, I would feel so shocked that I would probably do things like that. You don't know what you're going to do in a sure. situation like sure. that. He was only trying to help. He was mortified, clearly. You know, one one funny thing about it what? is that in America, they teach you when you're a kid, you hear or see any trouble or any um, crime, they teach you to call 911. Correct. In Honduras, they teach you not to call police, period. Not to call police, period. See? It's a it's a it's a cultural difference, yeah. and it's a shame that that's the case in Honduras. But uh, this is so fascinating because you're soon what arrested, picked up. Uh, what happens to you the next morning? Yes. Okay. Police come in and knock on my door and ask me if I hear anything. That was the question. If we be the technical, I, I say no. I didn't hear anything. Because you were scared for being deported because you, you didn't call 911 upon finding the bodies. Why? Because that, that you were illegal fear. and you couldn't go back to what you came from. Imagine this. Illegal immigrant who spent $4,414 to come to this country in yep. three months and 16 days to make it here got blood on his clothes. Yeah. Knife in his hand. Yep. In the neighbor's house, and they did. Correct. Yeah, that's a tough position for anybody to be in, but especially somebody who's here, as you say, through those circumstances. Now, I, I understand, and I was researching along with Diane, that the, the first charge was not murder, but was tampering with evidence at a crime scene? That is correct. Right. They had the charge. How long was it before you were actually slapped with a murder one charge? A week later. A week uh, later. They say... Yeah, they say they found my left palm print with blood and the knife handle. And I say, that's impossible. Except you had picked up the knife, didn't you? Is that what... Yeah, but I'm right-handed. Ah. There's no, no way I pick it up with my left hand. Okay, okay. That's so a very important... you find my left palm print in there, period. Right, right. That's a very important point. Let's ask you, Clemente and uh, Shorty, <laughs> let's ask you, and I know Diana is, is chomping at the bit to ask you these things, 
At the time, did you think this is impossible? I'm in America. Why is this happening? Yeah,、uh, and then I start realizing how things work. Attorney Joseph Krauske is based in the Boston, Massachusetts area and serves all of New England. Joe has 43 years of experience handling major personal injury and criminal cases, with hands-on attention given to every client. He also specializes in handling cases of OUI, which is operating under the influence, and has experience with many serious and important superior and district court cases. To contact Attorney Joe Krauske, call 508. Five eight seven three seven zero one. Again, that's five zero eight five eight seven three seven zero one. Email him at krauskylaw dot com. That's k r o w s k i l a w dot com. It's legal help when you need it. Krauskylaw dot com. Well, as an American, I'm I'm the reason I asked you on to this podcast is I am ashamed that this happened in. This beautiful country that I love, the United States, it flies in the、Me、face too, of everything that we stand for. It flies in the face of. But can I just ask you before we get too far afield? When you found those bodies, you got scared. You exited the home. Now, naturally, your your footprints are all over the place in the home. Correct. You ran back to your home, but you just took the knife and threw it in the grass. Then you got scared,、yeah. and at home you took all your bloody clothes off, put them in a bag, and threw them on top of your trailer. Is that right? Correct. Correct. And then, eventually, you did square up with the police and tell them what you knew. And I give it to them. Like a day or two later. Yeah, I give it to him. I give it to them later. Okay. The, the first police officer that came and asked,、uh, "Do you hear anything?" I say no. But then I went to my friend that I was the night before, and. I told him, and he say, "Where the clothes at?"、Mm. And I say, "On top of my roof." And he like, "Go get it and give it to me. I'm gonna burn it."、Oh. And I say, "Why?" He say, "Charlie, you don't know America." Huh? Yeah. Well, you don't know America. It, he was in probation, so he got、uh, things with police. I have never been interrogated by police ever in my life before. Yeah. Or being handcuffed or being incarcerated, I, I had no crime history. In my life, before this, Clemente, when you went to trial,、uh, you had what a public defense, or did you have an attorney that you brought in? I got a public pretender. Public defender, yeah, that's what I thought. But, I call it public pretender because they pretend to have、uh, you back, but they don't. I know they get a lot of、uh, cases, but for twenty two months, these men trying to make me confess of the crime I did not commit. I also heard, well, read that when they initially confronted you at the place, when you were trying to tell them what really happened, which is entirely plausible, didn't they say something offhanded to you, like,、oh, "We know that you Latinos just want sex, and that's why you, they wouldn't give you sex. That's why you did it." When I start talking about the first victim, there's Carol Williams, that's the first person that I found. Carol Williams, yep.、Right. Carol Williams. Yep. Her shirt was down, and and you can see her butt. You could see、Or、her, her behind,、mm-hmm. yeah, because like somebody grabs her and put like uh, um, the shorts and panties down, right? Yeah. The investigators start telling me, yeah, you know,、uh, we macho men, we Latino are like ma- macho men, and、uh, but we get horny or we get hard or we want sex.、Um, the woman say no, and it's our job to make her say yes. Wow. Mind you, I coming from a house of four sisters. 
and my mother. It's five women. I was the only male there. You, you already told, yeah. You already told us you were a mom's boy, which <laughs> just, yeah. No, but, but I, I know what you mean. I know what you but, mean. But, but my mom, my mom, showed me and teach me everything that my sister know how to do. Yeah. She told me the only difference between them and you is that you have a penis and they have a vagina. That's it. But I noticed through years living with my sister when they say no, when a woman say no, it's no. Right. It's no, or you have to make her say yes. If she say no, it's no. So when he's telling me these things, I'm like, no, you're wrong. What you described to me is rape. And I didn't rape nobody, and I didn't kill nobody. And they never had anything, any um, evidence of rape. They never, except for the pants down. And come to find out, fast forward, the perpetrator, the killer, when the mother was trying to flee, they grabbed the back of her, like her pants, to, to stop her from fleeing. And that's why her pants were down. Yeah, but... That was on the two, uh, 2018 when my lawyer uh, just do and uh, went and check about the finger of the uh, daughter and whatnot because it was That's... only three fingers and we're like what? Can I just explain that? Um, I saw him on another podcast. This is your lawyer from the Innocence Project. He noticed that the daughter of the two decedents, the two victims, had was a cutter, and she had, few years prior um, to the murder, had severed a tendon in her pinky finger, so her finger was bent down mm. permanently. So when you say cutter, she had mental health yes. issues. And, yeah. you know, um, when when the perpetrator grabbed the mother who was trying to flee, there were blood marks, I guess, on her buttocks, and there were only right. three three marks as opposed to four. Right, which would be the normal hand Correct. without the thumb. Correct. And, and and this kind of evidence doesn't come out until later. So Right. And you didn't have the kind of public defender you say who was really uh, looking deep into these things and No, he he, he, didn't, he didn't he didn't ask anybody uh, uh, what I was. Uh I told him what I was. There was 33 people uh willing to testify in the bar they saw me. Mhm. Um, the experts say the ladies die maybe 11 to 1. Yeah. And I'm in the bar. I'm not Jesus. I cannot be in two places at the same time. <laughs> right. But it's unfortunate. But I think the big trouble came when you didn't get a fair shake, when they didn't... They, I won't say it was botched. I think they didn't do a thorough investigation because the next day... The crime scene people went and took over 100 swabs of blood from the crime scene and never processed one because they felt they had their their perpetrator. 151. 151 and, swabs and not yes, one was tested. And just to, tested just to put it, it in perspective, Diane, DNA testing was available in that In that moment, I guess. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah. So um, the the sentencing is pretty dramatic. Here you are. An innocent man at this point uh, will will explain what finally happened to let you go. But you're facing the death penalty in Florida, right? Correct. And uh, I guess two counts. Uh, needless to say, what what goes through your mind at that point? You must be heartsick, I would imagine. But tell us what you were feeling and thinking at that point. You know how people talk about out of body experience. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's exactly how it was. I was looking at myself and saying, I can't believe this happened to me. Yeah. Because I was one of those persons who believed that everybody who was in prison was because they did something. Right. 
and and this moment in time haven't done anything. I just found two bodies, you know, and they sent uh, to, to die for it. Excuse me for interrupting. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. But are you finished? Because I had a question. Yes, ma'am. You know, I saw some footage of you online, and it's early on when you were arrested and you were in a courtroom and you were act- shouting out that you were innocent. And I would have done the same thing. I would have been going crazy. Do you remember doing that? Yes, ma'am. I mean, they that's, threw me a, out of the courtroom. that's a normal, natural reaction. You're accused of murder you didn't commit. But um, can I ask you, so you're in death row, and I have to just ask, if you don't mind, what's it like yes. on death row? Do you interact with the other people on death row? Are you in solid? Uh, it must be misery on earth. It must be hell on earth. That's exactly what they, the police told me. Uh, I asked for a Bible because I didn't speak English. So I asked for a Bible. I say I got a Bible in Spanish. If I get a Bible in English, it will be easier for me to um, learn translate. The guard told me this is hell on earth. The Bibles are for the street. So one of the inmates thought it's going to be funny to send me a penthouse book letter. And there's no pictures in there, it's just letters, right? Mm-hmm. Letters to penthouse? Yeah, so I started reading it Thinking almost it's... for two years. Oh, jeez. But I, I, I didn't know what I was reading. I, you know, this is funny. It, because it... realistically speaking, I'm reading just words that I don't know what they mean. Yeah. Right. right. Eventually, I got like a, a rouse. That would be the clean word to say it. Okay. Oh, hard. And I start laughing and looking at the ceiling and I say to God, oh my God, you got a weird sense of humor <laughs> because you have given me the filthiest thing. Oh my God. To understand something or to learn something. Yeah. Listen, I don't know what I was reading, bro. I, I didn't. That's, so I know I was understanding when I got hard. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I, I just jump in here. I mean, that sounds like a, the the strangest story on there. But strange things happen in death row. And the fact is now you can la- look back and laugh at it a little bit, but it's still bizarre. So what is the point when things start to turn around? Uh, you know, well, how did that, the that innocent- was my point. Yeah, how did the Innocence Project get a hold of your case? I mean, did you contact them? Okay. Or? That's the reason I was trying to learn English, because I want to write some letters to organizations, mm. attorneys, television, Arvo Opera. I said, I don't know who you are. They say you're the queen of television. Maybe you know somebody <laughs> who can test it. Yeah, she's been known as, as royalty in television. Did but, you ever hear from okay. Oprah? No, no, I didn't. Uh. But it's still... You know, Good uh, try. My first, my first letter was to the Innocent Project of New York. I didn't know the High Innocent Project in Florida. I didn't know the High Innocent Project in California or Texas or whatever. I just got the address from the Innocent Project of New York. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a letter, uh, one in English and one in Spanish. And I told them they want to kill me for something I didn't do. And they say, my blog. But by then, I already read English, right? So I read my transcript. And I remember the prosecutor saying, closing argument, that my blood was found there. And I said, that's impossible, because I didn't kill nobody. You can find my uh, saliva or my hair or my fingerprints there, but not my blood. I never be there, I never put there, and I never killed nobody there. So there's no way you can have found my blood there. So I wrote them, and they wrote me back. That was the only, I wrote 175 letters. You wrote 175 letters? Yes, ma'am. And wow. I didn't go no more because I didn't have no more stamps. 
No yes. more stamps. That's sheer tenacity, and I, I commend you for that. But, you know, I found out that um, when I did some research that when somebody is repeatedly stabbing someone, usually the perpetrator nicks him, him or herself and gets cut. Therefore, Correct. that's one of the reasons they do so many swabbings. They want to see if they can get the perpetrator's blood at the scene. And fast forward, when this was all said and done, the, uh, the Innocence Project ended up taking those swabs that still existed and you were exonerated. There wasn't a lick of your blood in that whole crime scene. But, surprise, the daughter, Samantha, who lived with the mom and the grandmother, she was at her boyfriend's house the night of the murder. She had evidently left during the night and said, I right. want to check on my mom. Took a cab to get there. And then slipped back into her boyfriend's house. She's the one. Her blood was all over the murder scene. Right. Intertwined with it the moms. Eight, eight, eight drops. Eight drops of blood. We found three first, and then we found five later. Mm. And if they had if they had delved deeper, they would have found that she had a history of mental illness and had at times threatened to kill the mother and the grandmother. They knew that man. They knew. She told them she was like a baker act, and some moment in time when I wasn't even in the country in two thousand one, and she told them, "When I get out of here, I'm gonna kill you all." Right. Mm. And didn't she confess over the years to various people that she had done that? Uh, 11, I think. 11. 11 people, yeah. But, but the most uh, disturbing thing was when her best friend came over and said she confessed to me. Yeah. And she was doing a stop motion to the heart. The mm. grandmother got a stop in the heart. Yeah. And in 2012, I guess Samantha, the murderer had an altercation with some neighbors, and she shouted out that she wasn't afraid of the neighbors because she had already killed her mom and grandmother. Yeah, like you said, 11 times yeah. in, over the course of the years. Yes. Moving forward to, what, 2018 is when finally some some semblance of justice is meted out for you. And the picture of you in the courtroom when that is done, when the charges are dropped, is, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. you got a smile as big as the moon. What happened at that point? You're you're cleared of the charges. They will never say sorry. They never do. Um, what happened was I was having a. Let me back up a little bit. In February, I was supposed to go to trial. Uh huh. And it was a judge named Red Sidler, and she denied me everything. And I remember my my uh, lawyer asking her to tell the jury or potential jurors, because you have to qualify them for uh, the penalty. Um, hey, you need to tell them that he was in prison, that he wasn't running, and he got a new trial, because new evidence had come out. They're going to Google him. I didn't know what Google was, mm. okay? Because when I went in, it wasn't Google. It wasn't Twitter. It was none of that. We used to have a, a flip phone back then. Oh, I remember those. <laughs> no, no, smartphones, Samsung, yes. none of that. Right. So right. he said no. But eventually he discovered that there was a Google in my name. So I got like a like a mistrial. Yeah. Even though I didn't went to trial. So now we asking her to step down of my uh, of my case. Uh, my lawyer told her that you don't have no experience. You ain't supposed to have this thing. 
Anyway, she said no, and we sent a letter to the TPCA, and then she stepped down. We find out later that she was trying to get a promotion from being a trial judge to being a TPCA using my case as a reference. She said uh, the best thing she ever did was deny me a new trial in a 64 page of rule. So now I just stepped down, and they sent me the uh, the chief judge of the county. The chief judge? Yes. His name is John Galuso. He came and said two things. He said to the to my lawyer, said to the state attorney, I'm going to tell you two things. One, nobody is going to bully the jurors or potential jurors. And second of all, you are not going to violate his constitutional rights. At that point, uh, at that moment in time, I didn't even know I had constitutional rights. Wow! You see, and we picking the jury, and the state asked for two days, um, like a, a stop for two days. Like, please uh, give me two days. I need to talk to my boss. Send me a state attorney. Uh, he needs to talk to the state attorney, right? In fourteen years. Four months and 14 days, I had never had an immigration hall. And they what they were doing. They already knew they were going to drop the charges, but they wanted to deport me. So I don't, I, don't, I don't talk. And now I know how to read English. Right. And when they give me the paper, say, I want to be deported in two weeks and not see a judge, I say, I know something like that. I want to see a judge. This is America. There's no the way you do it. You know, it sounds like you still believe in America and love America. I do. I do. It's a, it's a lot of good people here, too. It's, it's not everybody bad. What are you doing you know? with yourself now? Like, what's a typical day for you like? My typical day, I wake up, I take my dogs out to pee and, uh, you know, go to the bathroom. <laughs> I keep them. I cook. And then trying to get ready for the position. Because they didn't compensate me. They didn't deny me that, too. So, you know, in Florida, it's a law. They say you're supposed to get paid $50,000 for every year that you've been wrongly convicted. Yeah. And they deny me because they say I'm out of time. I see. Now I'm suing them, and, and we're going through the process of, of uh, the positions and whatnot. Can I ask you something? In your retrial, yes. which I understand abruptly in the middle of it stopped and that was it you were exonerated the real murderer was called to the stand and she took the stand and she was cross-examined by your attorney is that correct Correct. that's correct where is she now was she ever tried for the murders no ma'am she um, wasn't now now it has become not about justice now it has become about money because if they charge her yeah mean they will accept or admit that they were wrong with me Oh, so she's still uh, walking the streets, right? You know, Sorry? she's still walking the streets? Yeah, with a uh, box cutter. With a box cutter? Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, can she I just... She's living in Kentucky now, apparently. What? She's living in Kentucky, apparently. She's living in Kentucky? In Kentucky. Um, can you just give a shout-out to that wonderful lawyer? I think he did your case pro bono, which means for free. Josh, what's his last name? Josh Dubin. Can you spell? It was a, it, it was a team. It, it was, was a team. team. Can you say their names because they deserve to be commended for this? Uh, Lindsay Bonet, Mary Samos Palmer, Maria Deliberato, 
just doing and uh, I can remember the, the rest of them, but uh, it was three law firms. They one, I remember one moment in time, I sit down and I look at them behind me. I say, hey, yo, I look like O.J. Simpson. You need to get up. <laughs> you said people who are going to be in the front need to be here. Because, you know, I don't want a potential jury to, to feel like, why he got so many lawyers? Uh, so I got you. Yeah, that makes sense. So can I just ask you this? I have to know this. This is just purely question. I, I just love this part. This is the best part. When you got out, right? Like when yes, you ma'am. stepped into freedom, what did you do? Like, did you buy a pack of gum? Did you get a beer? Did you do, what did you do? Did you go through the McDonald's drive? Well, like, what were you dying to do? I just smelled the air, man. You smelled Smell the, the air. air. But like, that was it. To me, it was priceless. Did you feel like funny because things had changed, like things had gone so forward with technology? Were you a little bewildered and like mixed up, or? Uh, I I didn't know that in that moment in time until my lawyer got me on Facebook with his song that I had made some pictures for it uh-huh. in prison, and uh, oh my God, he looked at me and he said, "Hi," ah. you know, and I said, "What the hell? How may I look at you in the phone?" Isn't that amazing? And then, yeah. and, and then my lawyer, I got in my lawyer, Maria de Liberato car, and then somebody called her, and she answered, and the speakers, and she was talking in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. It's like you've been asleep. Listen, you, like read, you, read about those things, you read about those things, yeah. but seeing it, it's not the same thing that you read, that you hear. Then you see. Until you experienced it. What was your first terrific meal that you had that tasted really good? They took me that night to eat a steak. To eat uh, a steak? Oh, nice. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, they took me to this fancy place where, uh, to be honest with you, I know it's so fancy because they only uh, sell champagne and wine. <laughs> oh. and, and I don't drink that. I don't drink that. I, don't, I drink Corona. Corona, of course so you do. I asked for, ask for Corona, and they say they don't sell Corona. But uh, the, the the waiters heard about my story and whatnot, and one of them said, you know what, I'll be right back. And he went and buy a 12-pack of Corona, I don't know from where, oh, and wow. bring it to me and say, that's on me. That's funny. Oh. I've been having. Well, yeah. this has been a really wonderful experience speaking to you it's been a treat you sound like a wonderful man and a, a wonderful so fellow american and i wish you nothing but the best thank you and my goodness if they had just done a thorough investigation and you know i'm not bashing prosecutors because there are a lot of terrific prosecutors out there right there are horrible crimes and people need to be held this isn't bashing process this is this one group that did this to you and right. I, you know, the Innocence Project gives people like you a voice when you don't have one. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And I think your point of view uh, and your attitude, uh, Shorty, if I can call you that again, is really what uh, blows us away because many people would just be so disheartened and angry cynical. and cynical. And I'm, you probably have your moments, but you you come across as a very reasoned uh decent dude. So thank you for very much for joining us on this. Now, before... Oh, man, it, it's been my pleasure. Listen, to me, it's like I was angry for many, many years. Anger is cancer. Anger uh, is cancer. It, Eloquently it, yes, spoken. It will kill you little by little. So 
the way I see it is not everybody has got with the same season. That's the way I see it. I know because uh, some people make mistakes. Um, everybody is like. However, it's 30 exonerations from death row in Florida alone will lead the nation. So that should tell you that death penalty is wrong, period. It's important to note, I think I read this, that you were the 164th person exonerated from death penalty. In the United States, yes, in the US. number 28 in Florida. Right, so that's an important number. That, that means 164 potential murders in, in the government's, uh, on the now government's it's watch. It's gone up, yeah. Well, that's important, though. We need, we need to have justice meted out fairly across the board. Now, no, be- no, no, because you charge with something, that means you did something. So people need to know that when they go to a jury box or something like that, or jury duty, how you call it? Yes, jury um, duty. It should be open-minded. Yeah. You Good know, point. no go to a pre-judgment. We shouldn't judge people. I mean, we all make mistakes. We all not perfect. We should be kind with one another. That's all. This is Diane Godfrey. This podcast is meant for entertainment purposes only. If you need legal representation, please consult an attorney. I do not have a law degree. Over the years, many people have contacted me seeking legal advice. I am not qualified to dispense any legal advice. Before we close the courtroom door on this podcast, we remind you that All Rise with Diane Godfrey is available on all podcast platforms. We invite you to subscribe, download, rate, and review this podcast. You've been listening to All Rise with Diane Godfrey. True stories from inside the courthouse from the lady who wrote everything down. Case dismissed. Just wanted a nightcap.